Thanks for listening to the podcast of Hope Church in East Hampton, Connecticut. Our mission is to love God, love people, and serve the world. To find out more about Hope Church, be sure to check out our website at cthope.com. Thank you, band. Thank you, band. Uh, So appreciate what you guys do every week. I really, really do. Uh, You guys can go off. I'm actually going to ask. I'm I'm putting a couple people on the spot here. I promise this is all on the spot. Leanne, Kathy, and Nate. I want you to stick around for a second, okay? Um, I was thinking, and I was even more um, inspired when I saw that video of Belize up there. And so I thought... It's really, it's been really cold, Nate. And so I'm thinking we need to get people into some island vibes. Are you okay with me helping to do that? Do you guys know what I'm doing right now? They have no idea that I'm doing this. So this could be an absolute disaster or a complete home run. But I'm going to check this out. I'm prepared. Uh, I'm going to (laughs) take, I'm going to take over on this mic though. Hold on a second. Help me with that, okay? Um, you guys, once you see it, you're going to be like, oh, oh. Okay? So you're going to kind of play it like on those and beats, right, Nate? So I'm going to find, um, the first thing that comes to my mind is uh, like a marimba. So I'm going to find a marimba on here. Bear with me, everybody. Bear with me. Hold on. Um, let's see. I know there's one on here somewhere. Hold on. Here it is. Here it is. Check it out. Check it out. Check it out. All right. So, so, so. I like this one better. Okay. All right. And then uh, hold on. I'm going to add something else to it here. Hold on. Give me a second. Uh, let's see. I think I want to add a little, just a little soul. So. Can I interrupt for a second? Should yeah. I should I hear you? I'm assuming it's vital. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you want to hear can, what can I'm doing? Can I have a I'm little doing? bit of time I should probably hear my, you too. in my ears? Uh, yeah. Can you hear me now? No. Oh. Oh. Not yet. So we're going to chill. We're going to kind of play this kind of chill. All right, but that's a little too fast, but... So, actually, maybe it'd be easier for me to sing the song. You could kind of get a feel. Just, just start. Everybody's going to know it. One love, one heart. Let's get together and feel all right. So, yeah, yeah. So, that's the style I want. We're going to get into it in a second, all right? Yeah, you can kind of play background music. That's fine. So, I'm going to have you two put you totally on the spot. You're going to pick two harmonies to sing with me on that chorus. Okay, okay then we're going to see a couple of verses, and on the verses, um, there's those, there says, one love, one heart. You're going to do that, and we're going to get our island vibes on. Okay, can we do this? Yeah. We can uh, I think we can do it. One love. 
one thing. Yep. Do you guys know what I'm thinking? What am I, what am I thinking? Okay. I think I'm missing all of you. Everybody, come on, stand to your feet. You are going to be the melody section here. Come on. I know you know this. We're going to get our, our vibe going, okay? So we're going to sing this last chorus together. Everybody sing it out. like to that too because I, I actually kind of I don't really kind of want to stop you could sit I kind of want to just go no woman no cry woman no cry no woman no cry okay we got to stop all right thank you, thank you. I appreciate their help with that they literally had no idea I was doing that I'm sweating now. <laughs> we are in the middle of a series uh, on the book of Ephesians. And uh, as I was thinking of how I wanted to talk about this week's topic, I was really having a hard time because I had all this mountain of information that I wanted to share, and I didn't really have a way to apply it, at least in my brain. And then I had this great idea. We're going to sing a Bob Marley song. <laughs> And so we did. Uh, so that song was written, uh, let me give you a little song history, it was written about in 1965 or so. Uh, and um, around the same time, there was another song written. Some of you might know this. Uh, it was called um, People uh, Get Ready. And uh, it was written by a man named Curtis Mayfield and his band called The Illusions. And so that came out in 1965 as well. And that song really resonated with people. Uh, particularly, you know, this is in the middle of the civil rights struggles of the 1960s. So we're talking about these songs and that People Get Ready song particularly had this very uh, gospel-centered feel to it. So it had this idea of of, of uh, hope and, and peace and uh, calling out to God for uh, oneness and unity and justice. Um, and, and Bob Marley was actually really impacted by that song as well as what I understand um, about uh, John Lennon's song as well uh, around the same time. I think that was written in 1971. So 
Bob Marley ended up re- redoing this song in 1976. Great year, by the way. Um, and, uh, and he wrote it because he had always been a fan of Curtis Mayfield and the Illusions. And he's like, you know, I want to incorporate that into the song. So the verse, like the song we just sang, the one we know uh, mostly is from the 1976 version of that. And uh, he combines that people get ready verses and melody with the one love chorus. And so we actually even sang one of the verses straight out of people get ready. And he ends up attributing, uh, you know, properly to that and whatever. So um, that's the history of that song. And Bob Marley put this out in 1976 in the midst of his own turmoil that was going around in his country on the island of Jamaica. It was a political election year, and as uh, uh, politics tends to do, there was division uh, in Jamaica, and honestly, they both wanted Bob Marley's um, kind of weight behind that, and he's like, no way, I'm I'm not doing that, I'm not doing that, and so this song he reintroduced as a response to that, calling for oneness and unity and peace and love among people, and so as a setup today, I think that's a really important thing, because we look around the world And we see upheaval and disunity everywhere. You all know this. You all know this. We all live this every single day, even this week. It absolutely breaks my heart to see what has gone on, particularly in the social struggle that we have in this country. And so when we look at this book of Ephesians, I think we're going to see some very powerful words for all of us today in the light of unity. And that's just the title of message today. It's called Unity in Christ. So I'm going to get to that in a second. Let me give you a quick review, especially for those of you who have not been here. Here's the quick review. We're in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians is the New Testament of the Bible. And uh, this is Paul's letter to a church written in Ephesus. And like I said, Ephesus was a very diverse city. You have to think like New York City. That's what Ephesus was. And Paul is writing to uh, believers, people who call themselves followers of Jesus. And he's writing to that city. Now, often he wrote because he was addressing some problem that was going on. This isn't really the tenor and tone of this book. He was actually encouraging them and motivating them and trying to inspire them. And so it's really a nice book because it kind of lays out the first three chapters of Ephesians talk about the doctrine of the church. And here are the things that you learned uh, so far, even though you might not realize it. You learned about Christology, soteriology, pneumatology, eschatology, and today we're going to talk about ecclesiology for just a little bit. Anybody ever hear those words before? Have no idea what I'm meaning? No. It's all Greek to you, right? Um, so, yeah, we have. We have looked at what it is, what, what was Christ? What was his work in the world? 
That's, that's the Christology part. We have looked at what is salvation or redemption, forgiveness of sins. We talked about that. That's the idea of um, soteriology, the doctrine of salvation. Uh, we talked a little bit about the Holy Spirit. We talked about he's the one who seals us, right? And so he's the, he indwells every uh, believer. That's the pneumatology piece. We talked about um, even eschatology, the study of the things to come, right? And we talked about that a believer has a hope, not in this world, but in another world. We've, we've kind of talked about that. We've laid that foundation already for the first three chapters in Ephesians. Today, I want to, before I get onto the meat of what I want to say, I want to touch on one other small thing. It's called ecclesiology. That is just simply the study of the church. And I think we find a really fascinating passage because we're going to start to understand why Paul was so adamant about writing this book. I've told you, by the way, that it seems to me that he's writing this book and often he's just kind of going on and going on. There's actually the longest sentence in the Bible is in Ephesians and it's like one big long run-on sentence because he's excited about what he's talking about. He actually gets to another one of these passages uh, in, a, in a passage I'm going to talk about today as well. He just is, he is so excited. He can't, he can't keep it in. He has something to say. And there's something really, really important. In fact, he calls it a mystery and we're going to find it in chapter 2. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time. I just have to say this to introduce what was going on. Okay. So, um, Ephesians chapter 2. I think it's going to be on a slide behind me. Starting in verse 14, it says, For he himself is our peace. Who is he himself? Anybody? Jesus, right? Is our peace. Who has made the two groups one. Does anybody know based on what we've talked about before, what these two groups might be, who they are. Yes, Jews and Gentiles. I'm going to come back to that in a second. He's destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. That's a word that we all understand these days. Give me a second. I'm going to take my jacket off because I'm getting hot. Get excited. All right, so we know that. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making what? Peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached what? Peace to you who are far away and to those who were near. Who were the ones that were far away? The Gentiles, who are the ones who are near? Yes. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Here's what you need to know, because context is always important when you're looking at the Bible. There was this hostility between the Jewish people and everybody else, Gentiles. There were two groups of people in the church at Ephesus, Jews and Gentiles. And see, the Jews, rightfully so, kind of held on. This was their religion. This was their belief. This was what they were brought up to taught, and they were uh, um, to know and to learn. And now the mystery is revealed to everyone. And how did that happen? That happened because of Jesus' death on the cross. It was the cross that broke down that barrier, that wall. So now every single person had access to God. This is super, super important. 
Because now, there was no reason for the Jews to be holding grudges against the Gentiles. By the way, some kind of words they would call them, they would call them their dogs. They would look down on them uh, because they weren't circumcised, which was one of the practices of the Jews. That was a big deal for them, right? So there was all this hostility between these two groups of people. And Paul says, I am coming so for one reason. For one reason, to so let you know that that doesn't exist in God's church anymore. That we are called to break down barriers. We are called to peace. We are called to one. And he goes on this long, big doctrinal thing. He goes, one body, uh, one Lord, one spirit, one faith, one baptism. This is all the stuff that we believe together. And now it's coming to a head for everybody. So this is really excited. This is why he's getting really excited when he talks. And what we were just introduced to in this piece of ecclesiology, the study of the church, is something we call the universal church. That God's message, that salvation, redemption, forgiveness, a plan of heaven was available to all people without any dividing walls ever again. That's amazing. And Paul was so dedicated to this that over and over again in these passages, he says, so as a prisoner in the Lord, I'm appealing to you. Because we already talked about this. Paul was actually in prison when he wrote this letter. Why? Because he was, this was the gospel he was preaching. And people didn't like it. And so they had the power, just like they do today, to kind of exercise that power. And they threw him in prison for teaching this gospel. And he goes, Ephesians chapter uh, 3, he says, I'm going to make this plain. Mama Justine, who moved to California, I miss her so much. She used to sit right here, and she would raise her hand and say, make it plain, pastor. I love that. We're just going to get everything out of the way. We're going to come right down to the point. Make it plain. What are we making plain? That his intent that was that now through the church, this is Ephesians 3.10, was the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. That through the what? Through the what did I just say? You didn't catch that? Are you going too fast? Let me read it again. I'm going to make plain that God's intent was that now through the church, that the wisdom of God is going to be made known. It's the church's responsibility to make God known in the world. To make the spirit of God come alive in the world. And he says... For this reason, all of these things, for all of these things, for this reason, and he says it two or three times, he goes, I have given my life, I've become a prisoner. Do you hear what I'm saying? He said, he's so passionate about this. Do you hear me? I'm in prison because I believe this so much. He says at the end of chapter three, so consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his house. And it was built on the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which, he, in which God lives by his spirit. He's talking to the church. He is talking individually as well, but this also applies primarily to the church. He says, for this reason, again, and I know, I know it's not up here, just uh, trust me and go back and read Ephesians 3 for yourself. He goes on and prays what some people call the most uh, the powerful prayer in all of the Bible. 
And these are some of the language he uses. He goes, I hope that you're strengthened. He says, I want Christ to dwell inside of you. He wants to experience the love and power of Jesus together. You are ears together, one body, sharers together. We are seeing a common theme come up over and over that Paul is really excited about, and it's oneness. It's unity. It's unity in Christ. And he's calling the church to unity in Christ. And so therefore, the church has the responsibility to be promoters of unity and oneness in the world. That's what he's saying. We have the responsibility of bringing oneness and togetherness to the world. And we need it in this time. Because some of us might feel discouraged about what we see in the world. And rightfully so, we should be. Because what we see is division and strife and anger and separation and hostility. And that's what I want to talk about for the last few minutes today. What are we supposed to do about that? What does Paul say about that in the scripture? And so once again, he says, for this reason, for all of the things, we have just gone through chapters 1, 2, and 3, by the way, if you're keeping track with Ephesians. Now we're on to chapter 4. I told you, it's kind of broken out. This is the doctrine piece. This is all the things we believe, all right? And now, what does that mean? It means nothing unless we can live it out. What we believe determines how we behave, Okay, what we believe determines how we behave. This is true for everything we do in life. What you believe about something is going to determine how you react and move forward with that thing. And so now we're turning it. We're turning to how we're supposed to behave. Not only as individuals, but I want us to think as the church today. So we're turning the corner. We are now in Ephesians chapter four, verse one. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord. There he goes. He says it again. That means something. He goes, I'm not just spouting this off just for the fun of it. I actually believe in this and I'm willing to give my life for it. As a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to live, some of your Bibles might say walk, a life worthy of the calling you have received. Pretty strong language that I see here from Paul. He says, I urge you, please listen to what I'm saying. I'm urging you to pay attention. He's begging his audience for something. Uh, for crying out loud, he says, I wouldn't be a prisoner if I didn't believe this so much. This is so important to me that I will suffer for you. I urge you to live or to walk. Same deal, same difference. He says, you have a new destination point now. Your life is on track to go somewhere completely different. I urge you to live or walk a life worthy. Now, this is an interesting word because I don't think we get the significance of what it at least means in this passage. That worthy has this sense in the Bible of having a weight. So something that was weighted. Um, it, so, so it's the idea of a weight or a balance. So it's what we do, there's a weight to it now. There's a weight that we ought to be feeling because of it that we never maybe felt before we came to Christ, before we ended up learning all these things and coming to faith in Jesus. 
He goes, now what you do, how you live, what you're walking towards actually means something. It actually means something for your life. And not just to you, let me make this plain, but to people around you. And so he's, again, he's talking, remember, there was no Bible when he wrote this book. This became the Bible later. So this came as a form of a letter from somebody and they're reading it to the church. So he's saying, you, all of you, with all the things that you have learned, pay attention to the things now that you need to do. And I'm calling you to unity between each other. Put away the strife. Put away the hostility. And come together around this thing. Because the church is the hope of the world and I've established it because I'm the rock and it's not going anywhere. And so the church needs to be on the lead edge of what we're doing. And there's four things there's four things that he calls us to do next. And we're going to find it in Ephesians chapter 4 too. And I'm calling these four attitudes. The four attitudes we need to have to achieve true unity. We talk about unity all the time. But I feel like if we do not incorporate these four things, we'll never truly become people who are unified. That truly the messages that we write about in our songs of peace and love and harmony and justice in the world will not come to fruition unless we could put these practices in our personal lives and through the church. Here they go. First thing. He says, be completely humble. Be completely humble. If you're taking notes, by the way, you can find our notes online uh, at our website, cthope.com watch. But if you are taking notes separately, First thing you want to write down, first attitude. And I do think it's important that this is number one. I think this is the most important. I think this was given weight to, first of all and foremost. First thing, humility. Humility. You want oneness, you want peace in this world. We need to have the attitude of humility. Now, I don't have a 30-minute sermon to talk about humility, but I'm just going to assume on your intelligence that you know what this is, is going to mean for you. And I would say, to add it from Scripture here, he's talking about obedience to God. What is God calling you to do? Are you humble enough to do that? Because actually, that's part of the problem. We're not, we're not willing to do what God has already asked us to do. This was written 2,000 years ago, and we're still struggling with this. Humility is obedience to God. And there is no other attribute that promotes unity more greatly than humility does. This idea of not only putting God above your ways, God's ways above your ways, but others above yourself. Man, that's hard. Why do you think we're just in these cycles of hostility and disunity? Because we're missing this important piece of humility. I'm going to keep moving. The second thing he goes, you need to be, and this is implied, completely gentle. You need to be completely humble and you need to be completely gentle. Now, what does that mean? You might have a mental image maybe that comes to your mind when you hear that word gentle. It may be different from the attended meaning of this word because gentleness or maybe a meekness is not weakness. 
It is actually a quiet strength. That's what he means by gentle. It's a quiet strength. It's not harsh. It's not rude. It actually has this idea of being submissive. So you ought to be strong, but at the same time submissive, gentle. Move on. The third thing he says, you need patience. You need to develop the attitude of patience. And again, listen to me. What I think is the implied intention of the meaning behind this word as Paul uses it. He's saying what you need to do with patience is what that means is not retaliate quickly. Hold up. Be measured. By the way, he uses that word a bunch in this passage too. You need to be measured and thoughtful. There's also this idea of enduring something and not avenging it. So let me just pause on this for one second. When we think about the divisiveness in our world, are we patient people or are we quick to avenge? Are we quick to post? Do we retaliate quickly, maybe without even understanding all of the facts or understanding someone else's side? Let me do the last thing. Forbearance. It says, bearing with one another in love. The fourth and last attitude needed for true unity is forbearance. That's a word we don't really use a lot in our language today, but it simply means this, bearing others' burdens. Bearing with someone else's faults. Four things that Paul is urging this church to pay attention, to lean in, to think about. He goes, if you really want to be united and not divided, you need to get these attitude deep in your spirit. Four things. First of all, you need to start being humble you, start need, you need to start being gentle. You need to start being patient. And you need to have forbearance. Humility, gentleness, patience, and forbearance. And so for all of us right now, I just want us to stop for one second. I want us to think about our own life and maybe even our own tendencies and such. As we strive for unity in our relationships, in our world, as a church, which one of these are hardest for you? Which one of these are hardest for you? I've had to ask myself that question this week. I look at that list and I'm like, yeah, there's a, probably not just one. There's probably two, maybe even three. So really, as we think about what Paul is trying to say to the church, same thing applies all this time later as we seek to be a place that is unified. Are we really, are we really putting these in our life? Is this really the attitudes that we need to have? There's um, a quote I heard this week actually in my life group doing something. Um, so I, I heard somebody say before that if you 
really the definition of love is humility, gentleness, and patience, right? Um, and there's a lot of truth in that. So we're talking about this idea of love and loving our neighbors and, and things like that. So Andy Stanley said this, um, and it was a completely different context, but I liked what he said. He goes, sin is always defined. Now I'm going to back up. Sin is missing the mark. That's what that means in the Bible, right? So if we're missing the mark, this is what it's always defined at in the New Testament. He goes, sin is always defined as hurting, stealing from, or dishonoring another person. Anytime I put me before you to your detriment, it's a sin. Every other person you have ever, uh, you have ever had the potential to hurt is loved by God. I want to let that sink in for just a second. Every person that you have the potential to hurt is loved by God. So again, these are Andy's words, and he now is he's saying what God might be feeling. He goes, you can't be okay with me, with God, if you mistreat one of my children. Now, we can understand that as parents, right? Somebody comes after your kid, you have this reaction, you have this, and you should. You can't be okay with me if you mistreat one of my children. You just can't. You can come sing me worship songs and sit in the front row and worship me all day long. But if you mistreat one of my children, we will have an issue. Because when you hurt and steal from or dishonor another person, you have offended your heavenly father because he loves them. Think about that. How is it that the church in all its audacity could come in here and sing worship songs to God and yet we have this prejudice and this pride and this mistreatment of others, this lack of humility in our life. How can we do that? It just doesn't even add up. By the way, another thing I'll note as I'm finishing up, all of those things, all of those four attitudes that I think Paul is calling us to, humility, gentleness, patience, and forbearance, all are, I don't know how to say it, like external facing. They're all in how we interact with each other. They're not things that we work on for ourselves. I guess they are things we work on for ourselves, but they always have implications for other people, right? We're submitting ourselves to one another. We're revering one another being patient with one another. We're bearing with someone else's fault. It's something that we have the responsibility to do. And that's why I bring all this to this place. Paul is calling us to unity. He's calling us to love all people. And when we could start as the church even to begin concentrating on these attitudes then it doesn't matter anymore political affiliation. It does not matter anymore uh, national affiliation. It doesn't matter anymore. All those racial barriers go away. The socioeconomic barriers go away. Even sometimes the physical barriers go away because we are one in Christ and he loves all people. And I think it's fascinating to me that it's a message written to the church 2,000 years ago that we're still working through. And I guess what I'm saying is, as a church, we need to be on the lead edge of that. We can't just be quiet. We've got to lead out on that. I think about what we just did here to open this message. It required some humility, some patience, 
for some forbearance maybe. Uh, because what we did is we took a whole bunch of different people with different skill sets. They're kind of put on the spot, so kind of vulnerable, right? And we had to come together. We had to work together to make this thing happen. And it harmonized beautifully together once we worked it out. Maybe it's a little bit of a lame illustration, but I think that's the point is we together need to work with each other to make it happen. And we are the outward facing piece to the world. Do you realize that? We are the outward facing piece to the world. The church needs to be known for these things. Let me say one last thing. There's this um, idea. That, so the, the word for um, church in the Greek is ecclesia or ecclesia on how you exactly say it. Different people say it different ways. Um, and, I, and I think there could be even some, you know, mismanaged uh, definitions around this. This is something I've been thinking through. It seems to me that a lot of times the church defines that word as the called out ones. We're called out from this thing to, to be here as this family. Or we're called out from this. We're called out from sin. We're called out. We're going to be separate, all that kind of thing. And certainly there's an element of truth there. I, I do think there is. But I actually think a more accurate definition in God's word is the called together ones. And there is a difference to me. And that's fascinating for me to think about. Not so much the called out ones, but the called together ones. Together, in unity and love, we have a job to do. Why? I don't know if you missed it before, but to make God known in the world and know the hope that we have for all people. That is for all people. And so I hope that today, just a little bit, that we would take seriously. I really do think that this could be maybe one of the most important lessons that we learn all year. I really do. I don't know many others that are more important than this because by the way, it doesn't matter how much you know. It's what you do with what you know, right? We always, we can give intellectual assent to something, but unless we put it into practice, it makes no difference. And for too many years, the church was known for that. Well, let me go to my Bible study. We're going to know more about the Bible. And then they, they're mean to their neighbors. How can we do that? If we truly are looking at Paul's ideas to this church, who he loved, by the way, who he was close to and in prison for, I think it's one of the most important messages that we have. And in a world that is not united, that does not live in harmony, I hope and pray that Hope Church would be a place that is always striving to do that and unashamedly so. That we stand up for those who are hurting and needing, for those who do not have a voice, that we would put away any kind of affiliation we think we have and that we are united in Christ because he loves every person just the same. We must lead the way. And by God's grace, we want to go there. And so you talk about the heart of Hope Church. You want to talk about the vision for Hope Church. That's really it. That we can be a place for all people. So that all people know the hope that they can have in Jesus. And the glory that he brings to the world. Let's all bow our heads and close our eyes and pray to God. God, thank you for this word.
God, we can never be called to something deeper if we can't get these basics down. And God, we have so much to learn and to do. So many of our attitudes need to be changed and adjusted for true humility and for true meekness and gentleness and patience and forbearance. Because you have made us one in Christ. And I just hope, God, that Hope Church in some small ways in this community, no, not in small ways, in big ways, that we're on the leading edge of that. That we would see people through your eyes as people who need hope and who need life. That we would walk with a weight towards something way bigger than what we used to walk towards that really your, your message and your glory is on the line. So I ask for Hope Church and for every person in this room that that would be our, that that would be our goal, that, we, that would be our mission, that we would walk and live towards that. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.